Hey, everybody. Kevin Grossman, president of the Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards. It is now 2020, and this year's Benchmark Research Program is open. Do you know what your candidate experience perception gaps are? What you're delivering in recruiting versus what your candidates actually are experiencing? The Candy Benchmark Research Program can definitely help you identify what those gaps are. And if elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience is what your organization is all about, then go to thetalentboard.org and register today. Enjoy this episode of the Candy Shop Talk podcast. So by reversing that, by calling it conscious inclusion, you lean into, well, what is that? What can I do to make sure that I'm always consciously including? And so for me, it's a forward statement versus a look back statement and of the foundational principles for what Scott and I have started to deliver with Calvista. You're listening to the Candy Shop Talk podcast brought to you by Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research and hosted by Kevin W. Grossman. Talent Board is the first nonprofit research organization focused on elevating and promoting a quality candidate experience. The Candy Shop Talk podcast welcomes Elaine Orler, founder and CEO of Talent Function and co-founder and chairwoman of Televista, and Scott Sessions, co-founder and CEO of Televista, a conscious inclusion decision support platform that helps users to be more aware of bias with the data-driven hiring, and a proud Candidate Experience Award sponsor. Listen in on how improving candidate experience impacts recruiting and the business bottom line. Elaine and Scott, thank you so much for joining me on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. Before we dive into the rest of the show, why don't each of you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you're doing today. Let's start with Elaine. Thank you for having us, Kevin. Really excited to be here. Uh, My name is Elaine Orler, and I don't know what I'm doing these days. Okay, maybe a little (laughs) bit. Uh, Focusing specifically on conscious inclusion, which I think is our topic for today, or I'm going to make it our topic for today, but also working talent function and then also keeping an eye on the candies because I've always got my eye on you and what you're doing with that program. Well, and I appreciate it because again, for those who don't know the myth and the lore of A, you were one of the co-founders of this program and B, you're the one who recruited me to come on board and do this. So that's really good news. Scott, what about you? Tell us a little bit more about you. Great to be here with you. Scott Sessions, CEO, co-founder of Talvista. I love talent. I love diversity. I love championing the underdog to give them the greatest opportunities where otherwise they are omitted from having them. So I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Let's talk more about that first. I mean, before we even dive into more about Telvista and the the platform itself, let's just talk bigger picture. No, Elaine, you mentioned conscious inclusion. So talk about what that, what does that mean? What is that all about? Sure. Uh, One of my favorite topics these days. And Kevin, you would know this about me and most anybody else who's ever met me would know this as well. I think I follow that principle of you can lead with a stick or you can lead with a carrot. And that concept I am, forget the stick, just give me the carrot all day long. So when you think about conscious inclusion, it is the, it's the positive way in which we lean into the conversation around what's happening with diversity and inclusion versus the threat or fear, uncertainty and doubt when we start to say unconscious bias. You can actually physically feel the difference. 
So if I say you have unconscious bias, the natural reaction within your body and within your mind is, no, I don't. Yep. But you can say you do, but the reality is you, you physically don't want to have something that's A, unconscious, and B, we don't want to be classified as bias, whether it's our brain is written a certain way or whether it is um, some other dimension that we've been through. So by reversing that, by calling it conscious inclusion, you lean into, well, what is that? What can I do to make sure that I'm always consciously including? And so for me, it's a forward statement versus a look back statement and of the foundational principles for what Scott and I have started to deliver with Calvista. Do you know what's, what's fascinating about what you just outlined? When I think of the term unconscious bias, there's almost like an unintentional indirect shaming involved in that, right? In, in a way that's something that we don't have any control over because we do have biases. All of us do. That's been pretty well established. So I love that framing it more in that positive perspective and that leaning in aspect as well. It's the difference between poking somebody in the eye or encouraging them to do what's right. And right. I think, you know, unconscious bias, those that have a scientific and, and a educational understanding of what that means, we can all say we have it and we can all accept that, but it doesn't, still doesn't make it feel right. We want to fix it. But if we talk about really talking a bit about what is it we're trying to solve for in talent acquisition, what are the the challenges that we have across organizations, conscious inclusion rallies people to work together. And that is why I'm going to, I'm holding on to that phrase um, in, in so many aspects of what we do today. No, I love that. You know, diversity and inclusion has been top of mind for organizations for for quite a while. And there's a lot of talk about it. And when you when you have all the different when you're in all the different research organizations that ask CEOs what are their top priorities as it relates to and they say, Oh, it's our people and our talent and diversity and inclusion is, is top of mind. But it's there's always been this kind of this disconnect around that. But now more than ever, we are seeing, I think, a lot of that and, and also the change in conversation, right? Last fall we had our Candy Symposium and Awards Gala. Yasmin, our keynote speaker, talked a lot about culture ad, not the conversation is more about that than culture fit, right? And I, I think we're, we're hearing and seeing that a lot more now too. Torin Ellis, many others in our space are doing that. Another thing that, that's interesting is that in our research and data, those organizations who have research net promoter scores, meaning the candidates rating that they're, when they're researching employers that's higher than 50, which is a pretty amazing score, are investing a, lo- a lot more of educating their potential candidates around culture, diversity and inclusion, what it's really like to work at the organization, and of course, values. Those are all kind of wrapped around there. What is the reality from you both and the customers that you're working with? I mean, everything that we've talked about so far, I love it all, but are are organizations, are they really putting their money where their mouth is? Are they investing in conscious inclusion? Oh, I'm going to say definitely yes, but I might let Scott tell you how and where. You know, I I love the point that you, you referred to, Kevin, about what Yasmin talked about of culture ad instead of fit. I think that's incredibly important to drive the inclusion aspect. But in order to have inclusion, you've got to attract diverse candidates into your organization. And when they see that there's inclusive efforts being done there, they're more apt to come in and make those applications as diverse candidates. But it's it's not just, I don't think, uh, only about the adding culture, but it's ensuring that those diverse candidates want to come in. And so our clients are seeing some pretty impressive improvements from a male-female applicant, increased uh, female applicants, as well as people of color. And so 
they are putting their, their money where their mouth is now. It has been a bit of an education. Everybody talks about, I want to do this, but they're not sure how to do it. They know the why, and the why is really important, but then it's the how. I was listening to someone talk about social communities and the importance of, of getting these communities together, and we fully support that. The next step is, once you have that social community, that social community needs to know that they can go and apply and feel comfortable doing so and not be omitted because of their race, gender, or age. Right. Let's bring it kind of closer to home now in Vista and talk more about the how, or at least how you are helping your customers, the employers that you work with, do these things, the social community aspect, really being more inclusive overall. So tell us a little bit more about how Talavista came to be and what it and what you're helping to address today. Elaine, you want to start there and I'll add in? Absolutely. Well, how it came to be is a funny little, it's a too long of a story, but I will just say that um, Scott and I were meant to work together and there was a product available that I had come passionate about prior to that. So we acquired those assets to launch Talavista in the I can't believe we're over our one-year anniversary already, which is just amazing. But we classify it as a bootstrap startup where we aren't taking any VC funding. We don't have any other forms of income from that perspective. We're just committed to this mission and, and the purpose. But Talvista as a product is really focused on three major aspects in the decisioning cycle that happen in town acquisition that aren't solved for in other ways. So the first aspect being that job description optimization or pretty much any content optimization for inclusion. And it is just inclusion-based optimization. It is about the research that is viable to make that happen. And I'm sure Scott will go into more details on that. The second though, being a redacted resume review. Oh, it's one of my favorite topics of all time. But the ability to blind out stuff that equals familiar equals safe, which is a brain challenge we all have because it's not true always, and allow you to focus on what is necessary and relevant to do the job. And then the third aspect we have is um, really structured interview narratives, which allow for the same consistent conversation with all candidates and really mitigate those, let's just wait and see what Joe says, and none of the rest of us have to have paid attention in the interview. Those are the three decision points predominantly in the focus of the business side from a manager or the job description piece, not taking away from all the other technology we absolutely know is, is relevant to recruiting, but I would say augmenting or enhancing these three touch points. Right. I think that's important. I mean, that all three together, the first two definitely based on what we how we started this conversation about conscious inclusion and talk about to mitigating bias. So Scott, take a, drill down a little bit further. So how does how does it work then? If I'm customer X and and I'm really needing to solve for some of these things, yeah. So as Elaine Elaine began talking about and what really attracted us to this solution to carry it forward was the scientific research that it was based in. Now we are in a day and age, Kevin, of AI this, AI that, AI everything, right? And there are certain areas that AI is fantastic. We believe that when it comes to identifying how to attract gender neutral female candidates, people of of color, that it's based in research to identify what words will best be suited to attract those candidates. So as Lane talked about, our first module, which is our job description optimization, we've talked about bias. Did you know candidates, they even have bias? Well, because they're human, they do. When they read a job description without even knowing 
they can bypass that job description because of how it's written. And that's where the research comes in that has identified words that we deem as problematic that will cause a candidate to say, nah, I'm going to bypass this one. So our process is to identify those problematic terms, again, according to that research. And then the research is also offered up inclusive terms that will take the place of those problematic terms without contextually modifying the content. And now when you post a job description that has been optimized and made more inclusive, now our clients are seeing an upwards increase of about 30% more diverse applicants coming into the top of the funnel. And that's really only stage one of how we help get those candidates in on a company-by-company basis. Number two, and I'll I'll make this short, is on the redacted resume side, I was just on a call giving the example that Elaine began with of familiarity. Oftentimes, when a hiring manager looks at a resume, and I know that when when your audience starts listening to this, their heads are going to start nodding, that they see a name, and that name says Johnny Smith. And all of them are going to go, oh, I knew a Johnny. He was really mean to me on the playground. I never hire any Johnnies. And they set that resume aside without ever having to explain why they did or didn't. So that's that familiarity that Elaine was talking about that can equal safe is true or unsafe equals false. And they kick that person out. Now I'm going to, I'm going to interject because not every Johnny we ever knew was bad. <laughs> but All the Johnnies my, I knew were bad. Elaine. Well, my brother's name is Johnny and while I thought he was I'm bad, kidding. not everybody did. But <laughs> if he ever listens to this podcast, he'll laugh, he'll laugh his head off. I also want to call out that, you know, that is the strongest, most generic way in which we would state this. But there are micro components to that same exact statement, which is what we were also really solving for. I will use the example of my own. I, there are certain last names I cannot pronounce. Everybody spells their names differently. But if I can't pronounce it, my brain immediately goes to unsafe. Unsafe, when you're, because it's just that conscious component of it. Unconsciously, I'm going to unsafe equals move to the next. And so I have to consciously remember just because I can't say that last name, that last name has no bearing on whether that person can or can't do the job. And this is what by redacting or blinding a resume, we're blinding out all of that information can create those kinds of triggers. I use the example of, you know, zip code or address. Oh, that's on the other side of the the freeway or they're too far away to travel. These little things that just go into our decisioning so quickly that it really truly are irrelevant to whether they could or couldn't do the job. And with the redaction tool, you just don't have that as a distraction anymore. You truly are just focused on what's relevant. Do you have any, even off the top of your head, because of this is, again, there's definitely bodies of research and knowledge that this everything that you're saying is based on, right? We, but I know that we, we've all been in the space for a long time and we know that there are individuals in talent acquisition and HR that don't either fully get it or in denial of it and don't understand. So when you're making the case, right, by the way, this is how our brains work. This is how they're wired. This is and how we go from safe to unsafe. I mean, is there you know data and research as well that you you kind of provide to your customers, to your prospects? Absolutely. Okay. Data, research, 
case studies from our existing customers. But there's some really great studies if you just go out and look at what happened with the orchestra and blind auditions or some of these other components. I look at the difference between The Voice and American Idol. And now don't go into the who's become more famous or not, but just sure. the way in which the activity is completed and the way in which the the relationship with the contestant is changed by that alone. So there's some of those things where I see that that is just in mainstream. But if anybody wants some fun reading, and I do believe it is fun reading, there's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And it draws Mm -hmm. a direct correlation to your brain definitely wants to be familiar. Familiar equals safe equals fast equals go. And how we need to break that relationship with with certain data elements, making a, a tougher or more specific decision, we need to make sure that we're bringing our right brain, the correct brain, not just our right brain, but left brain, but bringing our correct thoughts forward. And redaction is a great way to do that. It's a great way to make sure that you are focused on, your brain is being reconditioned to focus on what is new and how that becomes familiar versus something else that's coming in from another case. So I'm going to go back to my Johnny example. No offense to Johnny, but Kevin, to your point of how do we get our- hey, Scott, Scott, can we just call him John though? Okay. John, say Johnny. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Uh, uh, I try to personalize it for each prospect so that they can internalize. Maybe it was Kevin who was a bully to them on the playground or to, to Elaine's point, I can't pronounce this name. When they start to internalize that and then they look at the research, it just further solidifies. Oh, well, I thought my gut was really good and, and I believe it is, but I do have a tendency to shy away from things I can't pronounce or shy away from people that I'm not comfortable with or gravitate toward people that I am more comfortable with. And when they start to see that, it is amazing to see that light bulb go on, even on a video conference. You know, as it relates to candidate experience and obviously some of what you're you're outlining to be able to to be more inclusive with the applicants that are applying at organizations to make sure that there's it's more balanced job descriptions that they're basing their decision on to apply i mean because we also talk a lot about self selection right we made the application process much easier than ever before and so, and i know that you know the trends that we see through talent board and can experience i mean a good majority of companies now it can take less than 15, 10, even five minutes just to get in the front door for some applicants. Based on this work that you're doing, does this make a, even a more ac- accurate self-selection by the on the candidate side too? You understand what I'm asking? Yeah. So again, it begins with that job description. When it's written to be more inclusive, the candidates are going to self-select into that process more readily than if it's written to say, hey, this is a boys club. So if you're a female, don't even bother. And yet they they may still try and try and take more time, but they're likely to bounce away when it's written for just males, just white males for that matter. And so just that step alone helps to improve the candidate experience overall for any candidate, no matter their walk of life. I have sponsored the talent board and the candies through my career for the last eight years. Right. And I believe in a great candidate experience and really fuels Elaine and I, our work, what we're doing here to make sure that all candidates have a great experience, not just white males, which is, by the way, how we tend to write our job descriptions to attract primarily white males. I mean, again, right, and uh, historically, unconsciously, consciously, the gamut. The thing about what you were just saying, too, is that we know, and you, you both know this, 
especially that at the end of the day, unless I'm in the HR recruiting technology space applying for jobs, most candidates don't care what the technology stack is for the most part, right? They don't care what, what they care about is getting a fair shake. And their level of perceived fairness in the process is positive overall, that from my first engagement of researching your organization, trying to network in, applying, and if I do make it, which the majority don't, but if I do make it to being screened and interviewed and beyond, that I'm getting engaged, I'm getting communicated with, I'm getting a fair shake. They may not even necessarily understand what your work is doing for them, right? at the end of the day, but making something more appropriate for them and for them to apply to. Kevin, I'm going to jump in on that. Go ahead, Elaine, sure. I have a little bit of a passion around the candidate experience. I don't know why. It's this thing from my past. You know, Scott talked a little bit about the job description and the candidates component, their ability to resonate with the description because it it is written to be inclusive. Sure. Therefore, they aren't self-opting out. You know, if you had said, pick one other thing, pick one thing in your whole stack that has the greatest potential for impact on candidate experience. For me, it's the redacted resume because there are so many studies out today. Harvard Business School did one in 2017, but the minorities who have to whiten, white name, their job resumes get more interviews. The research is out there. And so if I had to say, what is the one thing I want to impact in in the social economy of candidate experience is that nobody should have to change their name in order to be considered for an interview. And by redacting the resume, by hiding that information, by changing where familiar equals safe, we see an increase of 30 to 40% of our customers that are seeing more diverse candidates proceed, whether it be diversity through more female candidates in engineering positions or ethnic or race gender diversity. It's all happening. And that, to me, is what's changing candidate experience. Because if I have to sit down at my resume and think of how I can make my name sound like a male's name in order to get an interview, I have to lower myself to get the job. Oh, that experience in and of itself has already started off bad. So I want to see us as an industry shift back to what is true. Don't force candidates to lie on their resume. That's part of my mission. No, I I love that. No, Elaine, thank you so much. I think that's an extremely valid point that needs to be underscored a gazillion times. That's truly the impact you're having on the space right now with with what you're providing with TelVista. And I, I think that's super exciting. And you've just outlined some measures of success already that your customers are seeing too by improving just begin being more inclusive with the applicants and the candidates. I know our time is probably almost up, but I wanted to add the fact that you're right. Candidates don't care what the stack is. Companies want to be able to convey, here's how we are addressing a great candidate experience. Why companies sign up for the candies and go through the surveys to be able to have the emblem of, we have a great candidate experience. So it, it boils down in some points to the optics so that the company can talk about Here's what we're doing to ensure a fair and equitable process with a great experience across the board. So come and apply here because you're going to get a fair shake and without whitening your resume. Right. And that's and that's exactly what again what this what this program has the candies has been about since the beginning is re- really helping to shine a light on those organizations that are doing these things from pre-application to onboarding that are being more transparent they're providing more fairness in the process throughout. And that goes to the heart of what you're talking about here, right? Letting the candidates be themselves and being reviewed and screened on their their merits, not on their ethnicity, gender, et cetera. So what's coming with Talvista? Is there anything on the top secret that I promise I won't tell anybody that you can tell me? (laughs) So 
Our product roadmap in, includes many more redactions within the resume. So as a base, we redact out name and personal information. Optionally, you can redact out previous employer. You can redact out headshots. You can redact out the school that a candidate attended. All of those can create some unconscious bias behavior. So by redacting those, again, you're now looking at that candidate based on their skills and experience. So we're looking at additional redactions to avoid ageism when looking at the resume, dates, additional uh, societies or groups that a candidate participates in. So we're looking to augment our redaction capabilities, which by the way, are, are proprietary to us. It's our secret sauce of how we do that. But we don't screen scrape the resume. We actually show the original resume to the reviewer with that important information redacted so that they're looking at how that candidate organized their thoughts, how they represent themselves, as opposed to a screen scrape in forms to eliminate those genders or races. But now you just, it's been so sanitized that you don't really see who that candidate is. So those are some of the things that we're doing for the future, uh, additional enhancements to the product, but we're running as quickly as we can to meet the demands of our clients. And so far, we're, we're hitting the mark with them. That's an unfortunate theme that you just hit on at the last thing that you're helping with the further redaction, uh, um, addressing ageism. And that's not only just in the benchmark data that we capture each year, and we're doing some uh, deeper dive work with some many different organizations. And it's, that's, that's an unfortunate growing theme that we're hearing, in, at least in sentiment analysis from the candidate comments across industries for that yeah, matter. Which is why we think it's so critical yeah. that we're working on that to get that added in so we can provide it to existing clients right. and any new clients that we'll be bringing on in the near future. Real quick, we're, thank you so much for both being on this. A couple of final questions before we wrap up this podcast is, this is easy for both of you, but I think it's important to still note, why should an organization a, even ask for feedback from their candidates and participate in a program like the, uh, the Candy Benchmark Research. I'll start and then Elaine, you can correct me on anything, okay? Without information, you're not able to make better decisions. And so it's important to survey candidates to determine how was the experience, the, the old NPS score, right? Net promoter score to determine if your experience is in the hole You've got to get it out. And the only way you're going to be able to find that out is to survey your candidates. And it's quick and easy to do. It's one or two questions. And then they can say, it was great, it was bad. And then you can start to improve. But it's, it's on data with which we can make good decisions. Exactly. My answer is a little bit more tongue in cheek. Okay. Awards are really cool and I like them. But the truth and the bottom line on candidate experience for me is this is our industry. This is what we do. Anybody who's in talent acquisition to stay, it's not about me as a recruiter. It's about people in jobs and making all of that equation happen. And so successfully that they're excited about their difference in life. And we basically, the whole all boats, all tides, somebody else figure out that analogy. But the concept being, uh, we have an opportunity to add good 
get back into this industry. And by surveying your candidates, by knowing where your breakpoints are, by adjusting for them and improving them, it's not only your bottom line business performance that's going to improve, but the whole economic performance is going to improve and lifestyles are going to improve. So I'm going to take it always back to the root core, which is there's only so much space on this planet. So let's just use our time and our efforts for good. Amen to that. And especially in at all times, and we've seen, you know, for the past 10, 11 years of this amazing job growth and in times of extreme adversity that we're in now as well, dealing with uh, COVID-19 and all the impact that it's having on organizations today. So, and, and really quick, the last thing that I want to ask you both is we always talk about work all the time. We're always working all the time, right? Scott, I'll start with you and then we can end with Elaine. What else does Scott like to do that's not work? I love to camp, Kevin. I love to do what's called boondock camping and out in the wild. Uh, my wife and I, with our trailer, get away from it all. We love to visit our national parks. They are an amazing resource, especially out here in the West. I know the East has them and the Midwest has them too, but the West is pretty amazing for national parks and we can never get our fill of that. So that's what we enjoy doing. Nice. Elaine, what about you? I think for me, it is strange as it sounds. I spend all of my unworking time doing what my degree was, which was elementary education. So wherever I can spend time helping with kids, babysitting, running around with my neighbor's kids, borrowing kids just to be with kids, I feel like it ages me down in years any chance I get. I, lo- I love that. And, and now my wife and I are homeschooling. So <laughs> there, there you go. And that, and I know. But I, and, and it's only day one. And so far we're still, we're all still surviving, but we've got a, a program in place and, and it's, we got to do what we got to do right now. Right. So, and I, I love that. So thank you both so much for being on the Candy Shop Talk podcast. Uh, really enjoy talking with you and look forward to hopefully seeing you in person again at sometime very soon. Thanks, Kevin. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Candy Shop Talk podcast. For more information about Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards and Benchmark Research, visit www.thetalentboard.org.